Thank you for a great day. Thank you for your word that shapes our lives. Now we open our hearts to hear you, to receive from you. Just burn your nature and your truths into our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to begin a series today simply called A Season of Generosity. And there's a key verse that we're going to be using. I'm not going to dive into it today. I'll dive into it next week. But it talks about generosity, being a generous person. It says that a generous man devises generous things. And by his generosity, he will stand. He'll be established. He'll rise. Back at the first of the year, just after the new year started, I was praying one day. And I really felt God impress on my heart that we are about... To, to be led into a season of generosity. We as a church are going to be led into a season of generosity. Now, here's why this is important. If God says, I'm going to lead this church into a season of generosity, then what we have to understand is God is going to lead us as people into a season of generosity. Because the church is people. It doesn't mean he's going to lead the building into a season of generosity or the pews. It's talking about people. The church is people. So as I begin to, to pray and begin to study about that, you know, of course, I worship God and thank God for it. But I want to understand it better. And so I want to begin a series. It'll take us two, maybe three weeks talking about generosity. And this morning in this first session, I want to establish one thought in this message. And I'll, I'll hit it from a few different angles. But the one thought that I want to begin this series with is God is a generous God. God is a generous God. We will never understand the godly perspective on generosity if we don't first understand that God is a generous God. So I want to take you through some things today. And I want to begin in 3 John going to begin reading here in just a moment at verse number two but let me let me talk to you first of all about my calling you know I've, I've been in ministry a lot of years now and i've pretty well figured out what god wants of me and what he's gifted me to do above all else I, i'm a pastor and a teacher or a teacher and a pastor those are probably the two gifts that that drive me more than anything else and a pastor by definition in scripture is really a shepherd a pastor is a shepherd And the two major responsibilities of a shepherd is to lead a flock and to feed a flock. To lead and to feed. So I have the responsibility to follow God and lead the church. And I also have the responsibility to feed the flock, to feed God's people. And today this message comes from the depths of my heart. And I hope that everybody who's here today would open their heart and receive the things I'm going to be sharing because I believe they really talk about the nature of God. Look at 3 John. It's verse number 2. There's one chapter. Look at verse number 2. The Apostle John is praying a prayer or mentioning a prayer he's praying. And notice the words in verse number 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. If you've been in church very many years and you've been reading your Bible, you know that verse. I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Now, let me take just a moment and set up this prayer for you. The Apostle John who wrote these words is 
mostly known as the Apostle of Love. This is the Apostle who, in his Gospel, the Gospel of John, spoke of himself in the third person, and he said, he is the person who Jesus loved. I mean, think about those words. He said, Jesus really loved this guy, John, and he was speaking of himself. If you read the three letters that he wrote, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, at least 38 times you find the word love or some form of the word love in those three short letters. Two of the letters are just one chapter. Very short. So 38 times it's love, 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 love. He's the guy you get around him and he just exudes love, love, love. He's so ooshy-gooshy after a while. It's like, okay, okay, dude, I've heard enough about love. Do you know anything else? John is the apostle of love. You know, while Peter and James and John are washing their, or Peter and James are washing their nets, getting ready to go fishing, John's over there mending the nets because that's what you do when you're the apostle of love. You know that relationships have got to be mended and everything's got to be fixed by love. That's John's message, love, love, love. And here's what he says. He writes this letter and he says, I'm praying for you and I'm praying for three specific Things Now, get these three things. I'm going to do it in reverse order, only because it sets it up better. First of all, he says, I'm praying for your spiritual prosperity. I'm praying for your spiritual prosperity. How many in the house believe God wants us to grow spiritually, be blessed spiritually? You believe that? Of course, of course we do. Of course God wants us to grow. Of course God wants to prosper us spiritually. But if you look at the wording, he says, even as your soul prospers, in the original writings, the word for soul is really the word breath or pneuma, it's spirit. So he says, number one, I want you to spiritually prosper. But he uses that as a barometer or a thermometer, and he says this, as you are growing spiritually, I also want to see you growing in other areas of life. So first of all, he prays for spiritual prosperity. Second of all, he prays for a natural prosperity. Now, in the American church, it seems that many people struggle with that word prosperity. Because years ago, when God began to really speak a message of blessing and prosperity in the church, there were some people who ran 100 miles in the wrong direction, and as a result... We as a church, or we in the church world, do what we normally do. When somebody goes too far, we throw the baby out with the bathwater. We avoid the message because we want to run clear to the other side and start teaching doubt and unbelief rather than faith in what God is saying. So many people have done that. But you cannot get away from the fact that John prayed this prayer and he said, I want to see you spiritually prosper. What does it mean to prosper in this verse? In the original writings... The word prosper means to find help while you're traveling on your road. How many of you would like to have a little bit of spiritual help along the journey? Well, how about this? How many of you would like to have some help in other areas of life as you travel on your journey? See, the original writings, it talks about receiving help on the road. And it literally means that you can be successful in your journey. I'm going to tell you something. God wants us to find his help on the road to life. In spiritual things, but in natural things as well. So he said, I'm praying for you for spiritual prosperity, for natural prosperity. And then the third thing he prayed for, he said, I'm praying for your spiritual health or your physical health. 
Not just spiritual health, but your physical health. That you may be sound and well, healthy in body. Now, here's what I think. I think that if the Apostle John would pray that prayer and write that prayer, and God would see to it that it ends up in his word, that John prayed a prayer that God wants to answer. Three people got it. That's a prayer that God wants to answer in your life. That you grow spiritually, that you grow in every every other area of life, and that physically you are well and in health. That's God's will for us. It's in Scripture. Now, let me, let me go on a little bit further. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Because we're going to look at two different prayers. That was the prayer of John. Now we're going to look at a prayer that Paul prayed. In Ephesians chapter 3, he wrote this to the Ephesian church. Verse number 14, Ephesians 3, 14. If you don't have your Bible, we'll have the verses on the screen. Here's what he prayed. I'm going to move quickly. He said, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I bow my knees to pray. For, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We're called Christians because of Christ. His name. We're named for his name. Verse 16. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Now, Paul prays a threefold prayer here as well. Number one, he prays for spiritual strength. How many of you want to be stronger spiritually? See, God wants to grow us. Some of you don't care. I know, but, but some of you do. God wants to grow us spiritually. He wants to strengthen us on the inner man that we continue to grow on the road of our spiritual journey with God. Now, let's keep reading because he goes on from there. Verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth And the height, verse 19, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Now, I read a lot right there. And there's, I mean, this, it's a long, 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 long sentence. But let me sum it up right here. First, he says, I'm praying for you to have spiritual strength on the inner man. Second of all, he says, I'm praying that you begin to explore all of the love of God. Now, I've got a pastor's heart. Do you know what I want to see for you? I want to see you be blessed. I want to see you grow in God. I want to see you explore all of God's love. And here's what Paul said. He said, I want you to know the height of it, the depth of it, the length of it, the width of it. He said, don't sit back and be casual about God's love. Go on a journey to explore all of it experience all that God has for you. Why? Because you are not going to bankrupt heaven. And and I'm going to tell you something. Some of us need to make up our minds and realize that we have not yet experienced all of it and there's more that God has for us. So we need to get on target and take up that journey and keep moving forward in Christ. Now, one last thing. Verse 19. Put it back up there a moment because I want to show you the last part of the verse. Now look at the the last part. That you may be filled with all of the fullness 
of God. I'll guarantee you there's not one person in this room today who's already experienced everything God has for you in this lifetime. You've not experienced it all. And he wants us to be filled with all the fullness of God. He wants you to experience it all. So it takes a mindset that says there's more in God in every area of life. And I want to keep moving forward. That's what Paul wrote. That's his prayer for us. Now, why is that important? Like I said about John. If that's for me, tell him I'm busy right now. I'll call back in just a few minutes. Why is that important? Because just like John, if Paul prays a prayer and it's recorded in Scripture, he is giving a prayer that God wants to answer. God wants to answer that prayer in your life and in my life. Now, let me... They're still calling. Bring me that phone. Let me talk to them. That'll that'll fix it. It's probably a telemarketer, I know. But anyway... Now, let me, let me give you something to think about. I do not understand, and I'm being honest, sincere. There's no edge to this. So I want you to hear the pastor's heart. I do not understand why Bible-believing people refuse to accept the fact that God is good and that he desires to provide good things For every area of our lives. I don't understand why. But yet there are churches that teach that. I know. And I'm not. You know. I'm not calling people to task. I don't understand why people. Don't accept the fact that God is good. And he wants to bless every area of our lives. I don't understand that. I'll be honest with you. I believe God wants to be involved in every area of life. And I make room for him. I want his involvement. Because he's got better plans than I've got for myself. And I want his involvement. You know, several years ago, just just as a side note, several years ago, I have a friend who was in Central America. And he and a couple of his other friends had pooled some resources. And they were trying to buy a television station that was for sale down in Central America. And they wanted to buy this secular station and they wanted to turn it into a Christian television station. Their intentions were good. They got down there and they'd pulled their resources and they didn't have a lot of money, but they had some money. So they went down there, they went to buy this, try to buy this TV station. And when they got there, there were two other major Christian groups there. One was a Christian television group. The other was a well-known church group here in America. Series of churches, a group of churches. And the leader of that organization from those churches was there. And here's the interesting thing. They got down there, and this group of churches that was trying to buy this, this television station, they're among the people who will tell you today, well, God's not concerned about blessing you financially and materially. God's not into that. He doesn't really want to prosper that area of your life. He wants you to grow spiritually, but when it comes to finances, you're on your own. They teach that strongly. They laugh at people like me and say we're way off the deep end, which is fine. I, don't, you know, I can take it. I'm, I'm old enough now. It doesn't hurt me too much when you laugh at me. So, uh, anyway, so my friend gets down there, and he starts bidding on this television station, and they find out from records that this church that's trying to buy this television station has over a half a billion dollars in the bank. How many of you think half a billion dollars is a lot of money? That's a lot of money. And they realize we can't even begin to compete with this church and this other organization. 
But I say that for a reason. Isn't it amazing to think a church organization can have a half a billion dollars in the bank and not believe in prosperity? What's wrong with this picture? What's wrong with this picture? So I begin today, and and I want to refer to something Jesus said. So many people have been taught, well, God's not really concerned about your financial picture and your material picture. I'm going to show you some things from Scripture today that will give you a different picture of that. Now, listen to this. Jesus said in Matthew 7, he said, if you have a child and he asks for bread, would you give him a stone? Or if you have a child and he asks for fish to eat, would you give him a serpent? He said, of course not. And then he goes on to say this. If you being evil can give good gifts to your children... How much more does your heavenly father want to give good gifts to those who ask for them? Look at the analogy. Bread, fish. When you ask for your father for things, it is the will of the heavenly father to give us those good gifts. The words of Jesus were, how much more will he not give us those things? So this morning, I want to begin with this. I want to lay out this concept. God is a good God, and God is a generous God, and he wants you to explore his blessings in every single area of your life. And I want to encourage you today, open your heart, let God expand your thinking and change your mind, and by faith, begin to step into things you've never seen before in your entire life. Let's go on the journey together. Let's learn about God's generosity. Now, second thing I want to talk about for a few minutes, I want to talk about God's goodness and his provision. When God created Adam and Eve back in the beginning, created mankind, put Adam and Eve in the garden, he prepared a place for them. And here's what scripture says about God's intention for mankind. It says God put them in the garden and he gave them every tree which was beautiful to see And every tree which was good for fruit. Now think about this for a minute. He gave them every beautiful tree and he gave them trees that would bear fruit. And evidently they continually bore fruit. And here's what God said to them. I give you all of this to partake of. And in the center of the garden I place the tree of life which will sustain you. But I also place the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, of all of these trees in the garden, you can eat of all of them except this one tree. And this one tree is reserved for me. Don't partake of this one tree. Now, what is the point behind this today? When God created mankind, he gave them this atmosphere, this garden. He put them in this garden and said, everything here is yours. Take it, dress it, take care of it. But everything you need is right here. Why? Because he's a generous God and he's a God who provides for his people. You don't see God's intentions for men to be left without being struggling, trying to find their way through, trying to learn lessons to serve God. You see God's people with provision from God for their lives. Yes, they had a responsibility to dress it, to keep it, to be stewards of it. I'll get into that later on in this series. But God said, here's what you need. Everything you need is self-contained right here in this garden. 
And God painted a picture of his intentions. Now we know sin came along. Adam and Eve were put out of the garden. And things began to change. And the earth began to resist the efforts of man. From that day forward, it's been a struggle. But that never changed God's heart and God's intentions for his people. And I'll walk you through scripture and show you some things today. The concept of blessing is God's idea. Did you know that? The idea of blessing is God's idea. It wasn't man's idea, it was God's idea. God blessed them with the atmosphere. God continued to bless them as time went by. Those who trusted in him began to see God's hand of blessing and provision in their lives. And let, let me walk you through some things. A lot of the church world doesn't even want to mention the word prosper, prosperity, or prosperous, any of those things. Because we put a bad tag on it. But it doesn't seem to scare God too much, at least not in, in the language of the New Testament in English as we read it. For example, Psalms 35, 27 says, God has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. God takes pleasure when you are materially blessed. When you have enough that your needs are provided for and you can be a blessing to other people. God takes pleasure in that. Let me give you another example. Psalm 68, 6 says that God sets the solitary in families and he brings out those who are bound into prosperity. Now remember, remember the New Testament wording is help on the road. Old Testament wording is a little bit different in the original writings. I'll get to that later on in the study. But I want you to see it today. He takes those who are bound... Everybody smile at me real quickly here while I do this, okay? Those who are bound by debt and can't see a way out and can't see a way forward, he takes them out of bondage and he brings them to a place of prosperity where they have enough. That's God's heart for mankind. Now, there's a lot to this. I know that. Stay with me. That's why we're doing this in a series. But let's look at God's record for blessing his people. Everybody knows about heroes of the old testament some people talk about noah well all we know about noah is he built this big boat did you know until about a hundred years ago there was never a boat as big as the boat that noah built when he built the ark do you have any idea how much wood it took to build that ark did you ever stop to think that god prospered him and blessed him so that he had enough wood and pitch and everything else he needed to build that boat it was huge huge well, let me go forward from there. Genesis 12 says that God blessed Abram. He called him from one country into another country. Abram obeyed. And here's what God said. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. Can I tell you why God wants to bless you? He wants to bless you so that you can be a blessing. It's not so I can grab stuff and buy stuff and say, look how great I am. That's got nothing to do with it. That is a misuse of God's blessing. God wants to bless us so our needs are provided for, and then we have an abundance to help other people who are in need. That's the plan of God. To bless us so we can be a blessing. Well, here's what happens. Abraham begins to walk with God. Genesis 13, 2 says, Abraham became very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Then Abraham has a son whose name was Isaac. It says that God blessed his son Isaac, Genesis 25. Isaac began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. 
Verse 14, for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants so that the Philistines around him envied him. So Abraham, then there's his son Isaac. Then there comes Isaac's son Jacob, the next one in the order of generations. It says that Jacob had oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants. So God didn't have any problem when he started a nation to bless Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But how about another example? Remember Solomon? Remember when Solomon became king? He was such a young man, inexperienced. And God said, Solomon, I'll give you anything you want. And Solomon said, man, I I don't have experience. I'm a young man. I don't know how to lead this great people of yours. He humbled himself and said, God, give me wisdom so I know how to do this job and lead your people. And God said to him, because you've asked for wisdom, I am going to give you wealth like no other king has ever had and no other king will ever have. Because your heart and your intention is to be blessed, to be a blessing. And God did it. God did it. Then, of course... I know this one's the favorite of those who don't like this message. What about poor old brother Job? Poor Job lost it all. Let me just tell you about Job for a minute. Job said his possessions, now listen to this, were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, which makes 1,000 oxen, 500 female donkeys, And a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. He was the wealthiest, strongest man in his part of the world. Yeah, but he lost it all. Yeah, but if you read the last of the story, at the end of the story, God gave him twice everything he lost from the beginning. Now, you say, well, why are you getting into all this? Because I want to prove a point to you today. There are people who think it is a sin to have wealth. It is a sin to be blessed. And I'm going to tell you today, you don't find that in Scripture. It is a sin to trust in your money. It is not a sin to be blessed. Why? Because God is a good God and he is a generous God and he wants to bless his people. Amen. So, you see, God's got a pretty long track record of blessing his people. Now, there are people who say, well, but that's Old Testament. And it is. But if you've ever read the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews said, in the new covenant, we now have a better covenant than the old covenant. The blessings of Abraham come upon us in the new covenant in Christ Jesus. Now, stay with me a minute here because I want to show you something. Have you ever wondered about the birth of Jesus? It's pretty amazing. That Jesus is born, and within two years, these wise men, so-called wise men, the Magi, they come from several hundred miles away, maybe as much as a thousand miles away. They follow this star in the sky. They come to worship this newborn king. They, they go and see Herod, and Herod says, well, come tell me about him. They come and worship Jesus, and they bring their gifts. What? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In those days, those are very worthy expensive gifts for a king there's no telling what the value was of those three gifts gold frankincense and myrrh and as soon as they left they went home a different route and they didn't go back and tell herod where the king was scripture says that herod began to kill all the 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 male sons in the land all the, the the boy babies below two years of age he began to have them all killed so mary and joseph went into the land of egypt now listen to me this is a carpenter from 
from Israel, he goes into the land of Egypt, probably has to have different people, a different language. He goes as an immigrant into this other land to protect his wife and his son, and he stays there for a couple of years until Herod dies. Then he comes back home. How do you think he sustained himself the first two years of Jesus' life? I believe God provided gold, frankincense, and myrrh for that journey. Oh, I'm sure he could work along the way. The point is this. When God calls you to a mission, he will provide for you for that mission. If we will commit our lives to God's mission for our lives and open our hearts to his goodness, he's a good God and he's a generous God and he will bless us with the provision that we need. Now, let me go one step further. Look at Matthew chapter 6. I don't know if you're enjoying this today. I'm going fast because this is, this is just the introduction. It'll get better next week for those of you who don't like what I've shared so far. So come back. Matthew chapter 6. No, I'm kidding you. I know you're loving this because it's God's will for your lives. His generosity. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus addressed this topic. Very few people that I know of really spend any time teaching this topic, this subject. Because it's controversial, depending on where you're coming from. You hear this verse or that verse talked about. But let's see what Jesus said about the matter. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Jesus said, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Then he asked the question, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? The question is, if God's given you life and given you body, don't you think if he's given you life and a body, he's going to take care of your life and your body? Verse 26. Jesus said, look at the birds of the air, for example. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And Jesus asked a question. Are you not of more value than they? Hmm. Verse 27. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Can I put it in my words? Which of you, by worrying, can change the circumstances of his life? Let me tell you what worry does. Worry changes the chemical imbalance or the balance of your stomach. It makes it an imbalance, which begins to produce sickness and disease in your system. That's what worry does to you. It's proven by science. And Jesus said, don't worry about this stuff. Worrying about it doesn't change anything. Then what are we to do? Jesus gives us an answer. Verse 28. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? See, Jesus begins to take our worrying about the necessities of life and connect it to a lack of faith. Now, if he would do that, what is he saying? He's saying if you have faith, you don't have to worry because God will take care of those needs. If we're worrying and we're sick over those things, it is a sign that we don't understand. God is a generous God and he's a good God and he's going to pour blessing into our lives and meet those needs. Now, I got to go on a little bit further. 
There, look at verse 31. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Verse 32. For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. Now, now pause there a moment. After all these things, the Gentiles seek. Jesus is speaking to Jewish people who have a covenant with God. It's what we call the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. It's the covenant God made with Abraham and then passing on throughout his people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the nation of Israel. Jesus is speaking to these Jews, these Israelis, and he says this. Gentiles, referring to people who have no covenant with God. At that, that point in time, there was no new covenant yet. He said, Gentiles who are not in covenant with God, they worry about these things because they do not have a covenant with God who will take care of these things for them. The Gentiles are seeking after these things. They are worrying about these things. You don't need to worry about these things. You need to believe God. Now, does this release us from our responsibility and our stewardship? Of course not. We'll talk about that more in this series. But Jesus is saying, when you've done your part, do not worry about these things. Pray, ask God, trust him to meet your needs. And he goes on to say in verse 32, for your heavenly father knows... You need those things. Can I give you one great piece of good news in the middle of this message? God knows what you need. You, 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 me, every one of us, God knows what we need. And he asks me to pray and trust him and believe him. Why? Because he's a good God. And he's a generous God, and he will meet my needs. That's what he's asking. Now, look at verse 33, the last verse here. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He gives us a spiritual priority here. He gives us a simple instruction, and we're going to get into this more the next week or two. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Get your priorities aligned. Seek first God's will in your life and God's work in your life. What God wants to accomplish, pursue that. And he said everything else will be added into your life. Why? Because God's a good God and he's a generous God. Align your priorities and trust God. Align your priorities and trust God. We're going to be talking about generosity the next couple of weeks. Why? Because God's a generous God. And the one thing that God is doing, we see it in John's prayer, we see it in Paul's prayer. God is trying to bring us to a place of unity with him where our heart is aligned with his heart. Where his spirit brings his priorities into our lives. Where his nature comes to us through the Holy Spirit. And just as God is a generous God, we learn how to become generous people. Jesus said, don't worry about those things. Seek God first. His kingdom is righteousness. These things are added. Now, I'm almost finished. But let me just give you a couple of thoughts. If God has a track record of blessing his people, which we showed you, and if Jesus promised God's provision for our material needs, which he did, we just read it, then why would I not believe that God is good 
And he desires to bless every area of my life. Why would I not believe that? You know what I want to see happen in this building today, in this room, in our hearts and lives? I want to see an adjustment where our attention is turned to God as our provider and as our source. Where we begin to trust him the way people trusted him in scriptures. Where the boss does not become our source. Where the corporation we work for does not become our source. Where the business we own does not become our source. But we understand that God is our source and he's a good God and a generous God. And he will find ways of blessing every area of our lives. I ran out of time first service. Because I was long-winded in first service, unlike this service. I ran out of time and I didn't get a chance to share this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish with this today. Ann and I came back to pastor the church here nine and a half years ago. Recession had hit this area. And over that next three or four years, we experienced, talk about all of us, we experienced recession here like most of us have never seen. There may be some folks who can go back to the Great Depression But most of us have never seen a recession, anything like it. We came here to the church, and the church as a whole didn't know it. We had about eight or nine months of reserves. And the rate the church was going at that time, we were going to be broke in eight or nine months. And we weren't going to be able to pay taxes, make our building payments. And in the teeth of recession, I began to pray. And my heart hurt. Not for a church building. My heart hurt for people who lost jobs. People in the real estate business and and mortgage business who lost income, who couldn't find work. My heart broke. We watched dozens of families move out of this area and leave our church. And I watched it week after week after week as we, we worked our way through and we made adjustments and God began to work some miracles. And what was going to be over in nine months went ten months and then eleven and then twelve. And we got all the way to three years. And after three years and three months, on the last day of 2011, on the last day of the year, I believe it was a Sunday that year. You can check it and see. 2011, the last day of the year, we didn't quite have enough money to make our church payment On the first day of the new year. And they took it out of our account. On the last day of the year, the offering was enough to cover it and more for payroll. And then all of a sudden, things began to turn around and go the opposite direction. Now, why am I telling you this today? My heart hurts still. Because some of you are underemployed. Some of you had to get into whole different lines of work just to feed your family. The last several years, man, that recession was tough. Can I get two amens in the house? It was hard. But I'm going to tell you something. God is saying to this church, we're about to head into a generous season. And we need to get our hearts aligned with God because God is going to be the God he's promised to be throughout our lifetimes. It doesn't mean I'm never going to have a worry the rest of my life. It means I'm going to have a God to run to with my worries who will say, cast it on me and let me provide for you because I'm a good God and I'm a generous God and I'm going to meet your needs. That's the God we serve. You know, in the Old Testament, when Israel went on their journey for 40 years, listen to this, for 40 years, their clothes didn't wear out. 
Think about that. We can't wear them six months till they're out of style. But for 40 years, their clothes didn't wear out. The shoes on their feet didn't wear out. God sent manna and water every day. He even sent quail. According to their desires, God took care of them until they went into a land where there was everything that they needed. God wants us to know we've been through a wilderness time, but generosity is coming from the hand of God. But we need to know what to do with God's generosity. Because prosperity comes with a purpose. Prosperity always comes with a purpose. Money has a mission. We need to accept that. Last thought, Romans chapter 8, verse 32. I use this verse a lot. Romans 8, 32. God loves us so much, he put his own son on a cross to bring us into relationship with him, to pay for our sins. I love John 3, 16. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. God did what? He gave. When he had no family, God gave his own son as seed to create a family. That whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And we accepted the call. Romans goes on to say later on, I believe it's 5.8, God demonstrates his love for us. In that while we were yet sinners lost in sin, Christ died for us. Even before we first responded to him, he reached out and made a way for us to come to him. And then Romans 8 says this, verse 32. God, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, put him on a cross. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Did you know once you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, once his blood that was spilt on the cross washes away your sins... From the moment that happens, God has got too much invested in you to give up on you. He's not going to leave you alone. He wants to be your God and your provider because he's a good God and he's a generous God. And he asks us to open our hearts and receive that. I ask you to bow your heads. I want to pray two prayers. Everybody in the house, bow your head. Father, first of all, I pray for every person in this room today. That you would adjust our hearts and adjust our thinking. Wipe away some bad teaching. Wipe away some things that have been passed on to us through family. Cleanse our minds. Wash us with the washing of the water of the word. Renew our minds to understand, God, you are a good God. You are a generous God. And you want to pour your blessing into every area of our lives. God, adjust our thinking today. Change our hearts to believe you. And to trust you. And while heads are still bowed and eyes are closed, I want to pray one more prayer. Nobody's moving, nobody's looking. This is an important time of our service. Eternity is in the balance, so please, everybody hold still. Maybe you're here today and maybe you're not in relationship with God. Maybe you've never been. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never asked Him to become the Lord and the God of your life. Or maybe one time you did, but you've been on the run, running from God and hiding from Him. And today you're here and you realize, God's calling my name. Something's tugging at your heart and you're realizing this is real. You're not interested in religion and we're not interested in giving you religion. We simply want to introduce you to a God who wants to be in relationship with you. God wants you to know Him. He wants to be your father. He wants you to be His heir, His child. God wants to wash away your past, your failures, your mistakes, and forgive you. 
He wants to be your God in this life. He wants to provide for you. He wants to make life different. He wants to be your God throughout eternity and give you eternal life. He offers all of this to you, but you have to say, God, I want it. I'm in. Come into my life. I want to lead you in a prayer right now that will open that door. Just my words become your words. Your faith gets wrapped around these words. And God begins to work in your life. And you come into relationship with him. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Everybody in the house, repeat this prayer with me right out loud. Say, God, I need you. And I open my life to you. Please come in. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. I accept Jesus as my Savior. I choose Jesus to become the Lord and the God of my life. I will learn your ways. I will follow you. Teach me and train me. From this moment forward, you'll be my father. I'll be your child. Thank you for loving me and receiving me. Amen. Now that prayer, it's not the end of the journey, it's the beginning. You've begun relationship with God. It starts right there. If you don't know what relationship with God is all about, we've got a little booklet called The Next Seven Days. We want to give it to you. Whether this is your first time to pray that prayer or maybe you've just been the prodigal. When service is over, we're going to have prayer teams at the front of the building. Before you go, just slip down here and say, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you right here, no strings attached. If you've got questions, they'll answer questions. If you want prayer for something else, they'll pray with you. If you just want to get it and go, that's fine. We want to give this to you so you can start your journey with God. You'll learn so much the next week just reading a little bit each day. It'll help you understand how much God loves you and how much he wants to be involved in your life. So let us give that to you. And right now, if you would, everybody in the house who knows the Lord, put your hands together. Let's welcome new brothers and sisters into God's family.